This is TL Talk Radio, Season 2, Episode 6. Welcome to TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihetten and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihetten. Good evening, Randy. Hello, Lynn. How are you tonight? I'm pretty good. Fresh Great. off our morning episode. <laughs> yeah, two in, two in one day. So I'm really excited that we have the opportunity to talk with Don Wetrick today. Um, Don, a thought leader on innovation and author of a book which Randy and I both read a month or two ago and certainly has inspired a lot of thinking and action in our district. Um, so we're excited to talk with Don. And that book is Pure Genius, Building a Culture of Innovation and Taking 20% Time to the Next Level. So um, good evening, Don. Hello, guys. Hi, Don. Welcome. So a little bit about Don. He's an innovation coordinator at Noblesville High School just outside Indianapolis, Indiana. And he certainly is that author and has built credibility as working as a middle school and high school teacher, an educational and innovation consultant, and an educational speaker. Don is passionate about helping students find their educational opportunities and providing them with the digital tools they need to give them a competitive edge. Don has lectured across the U.S. and Europe about collaboration, social media use, and work environments that enable innovation. He also hosts an internet radio program, Innovate Ed, for the BAM Radio Network. And most importantly, Don works with educators and students to bring innovation and collaborative skills into education. So welcome again, Don, and we're really glad that you're here giving us your time so that we can talk to you a little bit about your work and about this thing called innovation. So let's start with a question. This question comes from um, one of my favorite authors, Warren Berger, author of A More Beautiful Question. And in the book, he describes a beautiful question as one that is ambitious and actionable. So what is the beautiful question behind pure genius? My beautiful question is, can we give our students a place, a safe place to learn and create without the fear of a, I almost want to say without the fear of grades, or at least the fear of failure that we're going to hold it against them that they try and prototype and grow. And that's awesome because it's it's so opposite of the direction that so many schools are going in. And then there are schools like ours and many out there that are, are really wanting to rethink that. So tell us a little bit about um, the thinking that's behind that question. Sure. Um, I think the genesis of the class was, I, I remember getting an email, I'll always remember uh, getting this email, it says, just watch this. And it was from a good friend, and it was a, it was a um, link to, ta- to Daniel Pink's TED Talk. Um, mm-hmm. I watched it, loved it, and then the next period showed it to my freshman English class. And I was like, hey, what do you guys think? And they're like, that's nice, I guess. And I'm like, no, no, what if we <laughs> tried that here? Because there wasn't anything <laughs> called the Genius Hour yet. There wasn't a 20% time in education yet. And um, I remember trying it, and it was terrible. Um, but that was the whole point. Whenever you start something great, it's never going to be good. It, it can't be. Um, because if it is great right out of the bat, then it really wasn't hard, then was it? No. Um, so we tried it and there was, I, I usually make this as a golf metaphor. Um, I like playing golf, but I'm not that good. And I remember when I first started playing, you know, you're about ready to give up. You're on a hole, you know, maybe on like the 15th hole and you put one right next to the pen, like a great golfer, <laughs> like, you know, couldn't do any better. And I'm like, okay, I'm coming back tomorrow. That's the same way. I, I had some success, some success early with it. 
um, enough to where I'm going to say, okay, let, let's do this again. Um, and luckily, uh, you know, I, I put it in for uh, basically have my own class. So instead of a 20% time, we had a class of inquiry and, and uh, we called it the innovation class. Um, and and I, w- I got it granted. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's where we got our start. And, and each year it gets a little bit better uh, to the point now where I think it's uh, I think we're really doing something great. And then somebody tapped me on the shoulder once and said, have you thought about writing a book? And I hadn't. Um, and then as, as luck and fate would have it, I, I, I got a couple of offers and wrote a book. Interesting. And, and I think that message, your your whole story, up, you know, going through this process of taking risks and iterative process, they're, you know, sort of uh, um, iterations of, of the idea and trying them out and making them better and, and inquiring into what's working and what's not uh, is a really important message. Uh, certainly a message that we want to send through our system that we want you to be able to take those risks. We want you to bring those ideas, that innovative thinking forward. And uh, you're going to fail and you're going to maybe not, it's not going to meet your expectations uh, out of the gate, but it's really important that you learn uh, from the mistakes and the and the failures, so to speak, and uh, make it better the next time. And I think that your story definitely embodies that, and it's a good story um, that the rest of us need to hear, listen to, and figure out how do we how do we bring that message and that thinking to our own organizations. You know, it's kind of funny as you say that. It's normally the exact opposite of what I'm getting. I've got, <laughs> there's a lot of educators out there that, and and what you guys are doing there at Salisbury, and what I'm excited about is. From the leadership, you're getting permission. <laughs> a lot of times it's a couple of rogue teachers that are doing things almost in, in spite of. Um, so I applaud you guys uh, in the sense that you you guys are small enough and nimble enough that you guys are, are taking risks. And and uh, I, I wish that were the case nationwide. Um, but yeah, keep on keeping on because if, if at the administration level they shut it down, then that's really tough to get past. But uh, if you guys are leading that away and, and are and are uh, okay with risk and, and trying things out, then, man, way to go. And it's definitely uh, part of the culture that we're trying to create here, um, one where teachers and, and our school leaders as well are, are free and welcomed to take calculated risks. You know, we're not going to do anything that's going to be totally crazy, but we want to take risks that are, that are going to help us to reimagine the system and make learning better for our students. Um, so your message is definitely uh, in line with our thinking. Yeah. And the idea of, you know, it's not going to be exactly what you want to have it look like the first time that you run through, but you're reflecting on that. And I'm thinking you're probably talking with someone else along the way, um, a colleague, a critical friend and your students, hopefully, or or leaders to help you um, see insight from multiple perspectives. So that's pretty exciting to to hear about the evolution. Thinking about that, why do you think we need innovation in our schools from your perspective? Uh, because it is the future. I mean, um, if you talk to a lot of, uh, employers and which by the way, my goal for my students is not to become great employees. It's to become great employers or at minimum great visionaries for employers. Um, but memorizing a lot of facts and figures other than a career on jeopardy isn't necessarily a, um, a future. Now there's a lot of baseline things that we have to learn and memorize and that's great but to have time in the day to for lack of a better term and I know it's cliche but to innovate to create things to envision things to go through an ideation process um, these are the skills that people truly need 
And we're getting further and further away from that. You know, I'm sure I'll go into an explanation of what the innovation class is, but if you just want to narrow it down, it is a safe zone where we learn how to think. Mm-hmm. We work on these projects. We learn uh, how to do by doing. And um, it, it, if all we do is reacting to a set of instructions, that's not living, Lynn. Mm-hmm. You know, sit down, shut your mouth and respond to what I have in mind. It, it's just, you know, so, and by the way, this is my only soapbox moment and I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> I, I just, I, I think, you know, I, I really like uh, the hero's journey. Uh, one of my role models is uh, Joseph Campbell. And, you know, the hero's journey is basically taking that, that journey, even though it's scary and it's going to be filled with fear and failure. If you're watching somebody else do it, then it's not real. And, and honestly, I think it's why a lot of not just students, but adults are depressed. It's the reason why we watch sports or reality TV. We're watching somebody else lead an exciting life. Um, when you give students an opportunity to create, to learn, to put things in action, they feel alive. Mm-hmm. They're learning that things are bigger than themselves. They realize when you give value to other people, you create something that is indescribably uh, energetic and just awesome. Sure. And, and that connects back to the whole personalized learning idea too. motivation and excitement to see what you create. And, and you're talking about design thinking, too, which is interesting. Yeah, except, (laughs) but the hard part is, and especially I'm talking to the high school people out there. So uh, uh, the hard part is to get a high school student to understand what they want. Mm -hmm. So like, so I'm in love. Honestly, I think one of the greatest things ever is show and tell, right? You're the (laughs) expert. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're, you're prideful about what you know. You want to share it with others. Um, why don't we continue that past kindergarten, except we kind of grow it. So instead of just showing and telling, you collaborate with an outside expert. You get to work with other people. You get to work with some of your other classmates. And you just kind of keep that model going through grade school. And then middle school, you kind of up the ante, which this may be shocking to a lot of people. I do not like genius hour past seventh grade. Mm-hmm. I'm just not a fan. I don't think that innovation should be downgraded to 20 minutes on yes, a Friday. Yes. I think it's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, you know, it, it, I actually had this great conversation with an art teacher. She's like, well, what you're doing is basically an art class. And then, of course, she was in passion, like, you know, don't take away my art time because a lot of schools are. And but yeah, it, it, it's, it's that, you know, I, I, and I'm not saying the innovation class has to take over everything. There's still some baseline things that our students have to learn. Great. But for one period a day, that's their time to collaborate with people that we didn't dare dream of. I'm mm-hmm. serious. If you want me to start listing the names we got to work with in the last two years, it's ridiculous to the point where I almost feel guilty that every school deserves what we've been able to do. You know, it shouldn't be just us. And, and, and now I'm really, I'm really proud because a lot of schools, uh, we help start about, I don't know, about 20 other programs. And they write us and they see, oh, here's other things going on. And it's this opiate, right? Once the kids taste it and once they really get going, it's, it's, to be known that you're being used for a purpose is the greatest thing ever. And so as we grow, as we get to do all these things, then, then it's great. But, but circle back, the students have to first learn uh, of what personalized learning is. Because when you ask a high school kid, hey, what do you want to work on? I don't know. What do, what do you want out of this class? An A. Why? To get into college. And, and by the way, shame on colleges when the only thing they're looking at is just the grade. I've got some kids in my class right now. They are 
born inventors and entrepreneurs. They can run circles around that kid that memorizes things really well. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to get into the school of their choice because they've got some C's, but they've also got some inventions and some patents under their belt. So in in your book, you talk in great detail and lots of examples. And clearly, like you said, your your kids are connecting to these awesome people. And one of the things that as I was reading that, I kept saying to myself, why can't we do that? Why can't everybody do that? Going back to your, your earlier comment. So you're talking about this innovation. You're writing about this innovation class model uh, throughout your book and giving lots of examples. For our listeners, can you just give us a, a quick snapshot, maybe a couple of examples of some of the things that go on in there, how it's modeled, uh, your six building blocks of innovative learning, et cetera. Just uh, talk to us about that. Sure. Um, to... <laughs> I could spend two hours trying to describe it. <laughs> um, so basically the classes, um, we're on a block schedule. So I meet with them every other day. And the honestly, the first seven to eight weeks, honestly, is the culture build. We watch some TED Talks. We read some things for Fast Company Magazine. The authors that I'm in love with, uh, you know, getting them to, to read snippets from Simon Sinek or Dan Pink or uh, the Peter Diamandas, um, to kind of get them understanding how, this circle of awesomeness works. People that believe in the abundance model, people that know that the world is a great place and we can make it better. Um, once they start kind of reading that, then then we take our first project as a class. And the 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 bench, uh, I'm sorry, the building blocks of this are first of all, identify what you want to to learn and what you want to accomplish, and then you write a proposal. And here's where our students take. Um, ownership of their education. Say that, you know, we want to build an app or create a game or sort, you know, service organization, whatever. I want you to research the standards that you think you're going to knock out. That way, if you have an administration that says, well, if you're working on this project, how are you knocking out the standards? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Here's a list of them. Um, because a lot of math standards get knocked out in my class and I am not a math teacher, <laughs> not even close. Um, so, uh, then I want you to come up with a calendar of events and, and uh, every project is two weeks long and I will promise to get back to that. But then you're going to tell me what you're going to do in those two weeks. You, literally, you're going to set out a calendar like here's my, you know, here's the dates and here's what I'm going to accomplish. Um, and then you do, um, <laughs> you do the things you said you were going to do. Uh, and part of that is learning what we call the Roth IRA method. This is my favorite thing to talk about. Um, the Roth IRA, other than a great tax-advantaged uh, savings vehicle, um, is the ROTH is the big group and the IRA is your small group. So as the Roth, the R is the realization. A lot of times kids are in the shower, they're running, they're exercising, whatever, and they come up with this idea. That's the realization. They immediately come back to class and they go to O, which is open discussion. And they're like, oh my gosh, I've got this great idea. And that usually leads to T, which is tussle. We argue from time to time in our class. So what you think is a great idea, the other kids in class may not, but that's okay. Because a lot of times the, the students that are going back and forth and they're trying to like literally help one another and, and oftentimes it's like, well, that wouldn't work, but this would. Or my dad knows a guy who knows a guy that does this for a living. Well, those, time, those times the, those kids are, are usually going to go to H, which is homogeneous grouping especially like the really good coder kid that works with the art kid and they're arguing, that art kid can bring some beautiful design for the coder. Mm. So that's the raw, that's the big. Now that those groups are formed, and they don't have to be formed by the way, but I usually in, I usually like it in teams of two or three. Um, I ask that they write the proposal. I ask that 
and I beg that they look for outside mentors. That's where the real magic is. I, I, the amount of things that I don't know is incredible <laughs> versus you finding experts that really, really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so now we go to the IRA. And the I is ideation and prototyping. So the things that you said you want to do, you do. And then every two weeks, you reflect, which is the R. And I don't want to hear this fluff of all the things that are awesome. I want to hear what you're struggling with, what you can improve on, what's missing. And that leads to the A, which is an adjustment. Because you told me what went wrong. How are we going to adjust? And by the way, that adjustment leads us to back to R, which is a new realization. And that cycle of Roth IRA goes on and on all year. Um, Now, a lot of people ask me, why two weeks? Um, I see people making mistakes all the time uh, on Genius Hour. They go, my Genius Hour project this year is on. Now, you, all of us went to college, right? <laughs> when you had a really long-term project, when did you start it? <laughs> the night before. <laughs> the night before. Come on. No, not the night before. Not you, Lynn. No, but me, <laughs> yes. So uh, when, they, when I say two weeks, like people say, what, what can you get done in two weeks? Enough to know that you either want to move on or you don't. So if I said, you know, you're going to learn how to learn, you're going to learn how to play the piano in two weeks. Is that possible? Yes. Just not well. Mm-hmm. That's like level one of playing piano. By the way, this is what I love. If in those two weeks you realize you don't like playing piano, that's great. You're done. Come up with another project. And if you do, go to level two. And if you do, go to level three. Because I, I see a lot of kids that they say that they want to work on something and then they realized that it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. So they stop. And in all honesty, I, 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 how many kids have we had go to college? And by the time they take this thing called an internship, which is, you know, the real part of what they really wanted to do, sometimes they go, oh, my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Mm. They didn't have a chance to experience something and, and fail or not like it. So if they get into something and realize they hate it, great. You just invested two weeks. Otherwise, you were going to say, my project this year is on and faked your way through it for seven to eight, nine weeks and then told me that you don't like it. Well, get it over with early. Um, I had people say, well, are you afraid that they're going to choose something new every two weeks? It hasn't happened yet. Uh, and, and a lot of times when they don't like something, they pivot to something else and that usually leads them to what they do like. So that's my Roth IRA, Roth IRA method. I love it and I love how the kids uh, respond to it. Yeah, I think the the going back to the two week idea too. I think that's a something that's connected to creativity too, and that we have this myth about creativity that uh, if we have constraints, then that's going to you know limit us even more um, and and affect the creative process negatively. But it's actually the constraint, like a two week time limit, that uh, allows us to focus, and I think makes the creative process provides a constraint in which we can actually work within, and that's helpful. Um, the, the two-week thing. So I think the idea of creativity and setting some constraints is important as well. I totally agree, Randy. Constraints do lead to creativity. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe us, then you know, get out a cardboard box on Christmas <laughs> and have your kids play it and see what they can make out of that cardboard box. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> so can you describe uh, what's the, one of the more memorable uh, projects from your students? that you'd like to share that represents sort of the epitome of this uh, whole innovation idea? There are so many. I'm sure. I'm making you pick one. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, so last year, we were doing basically a bad idea um, exercise. 
And that uh, when you can have students um, think, come up with a really bad idea and say, okay, could you make that good? Mm. Like one time we had a, an idea where they were hearkening back, there was an old Saturday Night Live skit and they were selling shards of glass, a bag of glass, I think it was called. And so I was like, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a bad idea. And I was like, okay. And I go, let's Maybe. go with that. I, yeah, I, I said, let's go with that. How could you make that a great idea? I said, it was marketed to kids. How could you make a bag of glass a really good idea? And so we were like kicking around ideas. And one of the girls said, uh, you know, technically glass doesn't shard anymore. Everything's tempered glass. When it shatters, it shatters in these small little nuggets. And then we're like, okay, so knowing that and you know, one thing led after another. And then some, one of the kids was like, okay, so if you really wanted to like do social good, you could make like a hacky sack out of recycled mm. tempered glass. <laughs> and, and, and that's just like an example of like where the brainstorming could go. Well, I had a student last year, same thing. We were like talking about bad ideas and she's like, no offense to my art teacher, but I had this really odd project in art and essentially, um, we painted these eggs. We, you know, we, uh, like it was the solid wood and they made like an oval or like an egg shape and then they had to paint it. And so she made hers an animal and I'm like, okay, how could you make that good? And long story made short, the, the class started brainstorming of all the things that it, it, it could be made good into. And so we were talking like, maybe you could have an accelerometer in there, or maybe you could make it like a Skylander where you could have like a little chip in there if you set it next to a computer console or a game console that your egg could come to life. And then on and on we talked and then she started talking to like parents, you know, because she's like, okay, maybe if it's somehow we got off on the tangent of weeble wobbles, maybe because I'm 43. I don't know. So we started talking about <laughs> weeble wobbles. And so she started talking to parents and then she found out that a lot of parents loved baby Einstein. And so she's like, okay, why do you like baby Einstein? Well, it holds our kids imagination, but it's also, there's also this element of language, um, implementation like and some of the baby Einsteins they'll have like they'll count to 10 in Japanese and all these other things and so she took the idea of the weeble wobble mentality so where if an infant knocked over the weeble wobble it could say language phrases and then she thought I'll have a different egg and a different animal for like five different languages and she's got a provisional patent out there right now and she's developing even further and yeah like um, the panda bear the, her first prototype's a panda bear, and it's got like 15 or 20 different phrases in Japanese. She's got another one for Spanish and so on and so forth. So that creative process she went through, the uh, working with mentors and people that had, had um, developed games, meeting with an attorney that did the, some of the patent work for us, um, just what an incredible experience. And also, she, what she thought was a good idea wasn't really a good idea until she started talking to the end users. Mm -hmm. um, she we could have we could have gotten a book out on entrepreneurialism and read it or she could have lived it and i loved watching her journey whether the product ever makes it to market or not i just loved loved watching that journey yeah the process is is that you describe is fascinating and that's what kids need today because they're the ones that are going to build the future through that kind of thinking and it reminds me of a story um yesterday we had a community breakfast at our high school for anybody in the community. We had almost 400 people that showed up. And uh, one of the people that showed up was an older taxpayer woman who, you know, the typical lines of, well, when I went to school, we didn't have this and we didn't need computers. And when I taught, there was a computer lab down the, the hall. And, and 
um, how about your test scores aren't as high as the neighborhood school? And so we had this conversation about, you know, the test doesn't test or is not a, an indication of these kinds of things that you're describing. And, you know, I hope she listens to this and, and gets to hear some of the things that kids today need the skills that they need because they're the ones that are going to be creating the future and it's so much different than it used to be or than it is now it's going to be very different so i think your stories are really powerful i i just did an interview with a guy named tom billu he started quest nutrition it's like the second fastest growing company in the united states mm. and he said this on the show he's like no one's ever asked me what my gpa was or even where i graduated from or even if i graduated i have a business that's successful and that's all that matters yep Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta do no the work. No one buying his products are like, okay, did you have a three point five or higher? Where's your SAT scores? That doesn't matter. Yes, and and mind you, I'm not bashing all college. I mean, if your destination is to get into college, God bless you, but it's not necessarily the be all end all. And and quite frankly, I remember I was reading Peter Thiel's Zero to One, and he was talking about the fact that he didn't get this internship with the Supreme Court, and he's like, I thank God that I didn't do it because. I was so focused on grades and basically s- serving somebody else. He's like, I would have been writing law briefs for the rest of my life. Instead, he wants to go on create PayPal and then make mm-hmm. billions and then start other businesses that are socially relevant. Um, if your prize is a great grade, then your prize is empty. Because once you're done with school, the only, the only people that are going to pat you on the head and say, good boy, are it's it's gone after high school and college yeah and and, and by the way i mean yes i know it it takes you decent grades to get into college and all this other stuff but we also applaud people then in sports that don't necessarily go to college because well they had a skill they had an asset they didn't have to go great what if some of our kids are so daggone talented they they can go to college later what what if what if they have something that they can go pro because they're that entrepreneurial um, I, I think that's just as relevant as getting a really great score on the SAT. Interesting ideas. So it certainly makes us think about this idea of grades. And we have some teachers talking about the the ungrading and <laughs> um, following the Facebook movement, too. Uh, so, Don, many teachers and, and many schools filter social media. And you've talked about having your students be able to work with people that you never dreamed of. Why do you see it as critical for us to harness the power of social media to do this work that you describe, this this work where students live it? Two reasons why. Uh, one is because there's never been a better time. I mean, back 10 years ago, you had to know somebody that knew somebody, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you guys aren't a huge school corporation, but it doesn't matter whether you're 50 or 50,000. You have the reach that everybody else does. Um, this class got started because I reached out to, to, to Daniel Pink and he got back with me. And, and that never would have happened at any other point in history. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Um, the other part of it is, is it defies what we have expectations for. When No offense, but the average adult doesn't think that the average millennial means much of anything. They have this kids today and schools today. Well, to heck with that. If you're showcasing great student work and how awesome students are, you're going to shut people up. Because if if we just let the media cover just the things that we're like, oh, geez, you're going to cover that. Or, yeah, here we go again. Mm-hmm. We can take control and we can show our narrative on how great school – because the schools you – know, TV stations don't come out and do stories. Well, actually, I take that. 
they will do stories if you ask them to. Because by the way, a lot of local media wants those stories. Mm -hmm. We just need for teachers to leave that aw shucks mentality and showcase what's awesome. And and I think that's one thing that that my school at Noblesville they allow us to do is that yeah, use social media, tweet that stuff out, get get a local TV station out here. Um, mm -hmm. There is such a thing as a, a slow news day. So when, when, when people are looking for the average duck face selfie and kids complaining about blah, 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 they're going to be shocked and inspired when they see our students posting things like, this is what I get to do at my school. And that changes the narrative for everybody. That's a really good example of how leadership impacts your ability to do this work. And um, we are, we're doing some other work evaluating some critical factors of success for our teachers and how they can create these in transformative learning experiences and thinking about what leaders need to do or what leaders are doing that's either promoting or preventing. And in this case, this idea of social media certainly um, opens the door for you. So what other suggestions would you have for leaders like ourselves or other leaders who are listening to this podcast? What could we do in addition to other things that you may have said earlier that would help to bring this kind of culture to our schools? Well, I mean, I, I'm not trying to like pander to the host, but you're already doing it. You, you guys have got a podcast. You're active on Twitter. You're modeling the behavior, and that's all that matters. You're not sitting there like, well, I'll be looking at your Twitter and make sure. And by the <laughs> way, most of, your, most of your teachers know to not be foolish. And because and, and, every now and then, you know, I, I'm, yes, I'm a big promoter of uh, social media and, and people like, would you see, you know, people say, did you see that article? Somebody got fired. Yeah, they got fired because they were talking terrible yeah. things about their students. You deserve to be fired. Yep. <laughs> well, social media can be dangerous. Yeah. Cars can be dangerous. <laughs> and, and, and we teach our kids how to get behind the wheel and, and try. And actually, I think I even put that in my book. Cars are really dangerous. So we train our kids how to drive. Social media can be dangerous, so you train them how to use it and harness the power. Don't give me all the list of things that we should be afraid of. The internet is a dangerous, horrible place if that's all you look for. But when you show the kids how powerful and how transformative it is, how much leverage they can use by using it, then they see it as a tool for good, not just bad. Well, and, 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 and so when you guys are like, hey, we've got our own podcast. Hey, we're active out there. Hey, we're connecting with people. Then good for you. And, and you guys have, and that's the thing I like is that, you know, you guys can show other school corporations that are much bigger that it, it's okay. And, and to give people, to give students the trust, and of course they're going to, oh man, they're going to mess up. <laughs> and every now and then they're going to be something that you're like, oh, see, and parents go say, I told you you shouldn't have, but it's okay. <laughs> because there are some things on the internet, uh, there's some dark things on the internet. Does that mean that we should shut all the information down? Of course not. Instead... We, we take a look at all the great things that can be. We acknowledge that there's going to be some bumps in the road, but daggone it, that's what innovation is. Uh, you, you work in a high school. How, how might we transfer some of these ideas to younger students, let's say elementary or, or middle school students? Is this possible? And oh, if so, how? It's not possible. It's, it's essential. Mm -hmm. Of course. As a matter of fact, I mean, even though... So... Um, I probably work with just as many elementary uh, teachers as I do with high school now and that like I'm not trying to say this is a lost generation, but it's t it's really hard for to like start an innovation program in high school because you have to start. Sorry about the Star Wars um, knowledge here, but you, you have to make them unlearn what they've learned. You have to go through the Yoda training. Mm -hmm. um, 
but but you know but you start that with your elementary school kids like i was like talking earlier show and tell is awesome so if we keep that up and then in first grade we we bump it up a notch we still have time where kids have a time to showcase what they already know and then work on the things they want to be better at and a lot of times i'll i'll tell people i'm like she's like you know i had a teacher ask me well how do you introduce this to the class i'm like allow them to think that they thought of it Allow them to think that this is their idea. So one time I said, you know, I, I'd, I'd sit there and like, you know, do that whole beard scratching, looking up the ceiling. I don't, I got this idea. Like if I were a first grade teacher, I'd be like, I got this crazy idea. I talked to this guy named Don Wetrick and he says, I should give you some time in the week to work on the things you always wanted to work on. And they may give you a blank stare. And then you, you, you use like something easier. Like he was telling me that I should allow you guys to like, ah, you're going to think this is crazy, but making like a better Minecraft village and watch them go crazy. Oh, they were Yeah, yeah, I know it. so much about it. I know so much about it. Okay, here's the thing. I couldn't trust you guys to do that, could I? I mean, what could you really do to make better? And then watch them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then ask him, well, he said that you guys should work with like outside experts. You guys don't know anybody in like expert realms of Twitch. Minecraft making, <laughs> do you? And they'll list like 20 people mm -hmm. off of YouTube mm -hmm. alone. Mm -hmm. It's like, well... Could you guys reach out to them? I mean, this would never work, would it? And they will go nuts. Mm -hmm. So actually, I went through this exact pro uh, process one time in Texas, and there was this girl that stopped me. And I'm not saying girls don't like Minecraft. There's several that do, including my middle daughter. But this one girl, she's, I think this is a first grader, she's like, well, this is all nice for Minecraft kids, but I don't like Minecraft. What could I do? And I said, well, honey, what do you like? She's like, I like American Girl Doll. And there's probably nothing you can do with American Girl Doll. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're probably right. I said, there's probably nothing we could learn about American mm. Girl in anything. <sighs> she's like, well, no, there could be. Because I flipped it on her, right? And she's mm -hmm. like, I was like, oh, yeah, like what? And I was like, she's like, well, I mean, I could tell you like how they're made or some of the style, some of the styles, some of the styles. Like, um, there's a lot of styles that like are, are and she more or less said like, you know, I guess, and again, I'm not up on my American girl, but I guess like you can look through, I guess one was a, like a reporter girl that had like a 1950s news girl look. And she's like, I could make this like a history lesson through the fashion of American girl. Hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. She, she wanted to become the expert and teach other body, everybody else about her passion of American girl. Now I said, well, okay, is there some sort of expert? You could, oh my gosh, there's all kinds of American hmm. girl doll experts. So that could be like a first, second, third grade model. Mm -hmm. Could you keep upping that ante as you go along in the years? Yes, to the point where school could be, gasp, a place where you have to learn things that you have to learn, but also a place things that you want to learn more about because you want to. Mm -hmm. And imagine and, what and, they'd and, be like when they get to high school. Oh, <laughs> now see, Randy and Lynn, that's what I'm talking about because by mm -hmm. that time, I don't have to spend those first eight weeks on ideation training. Dude, they've got it. Right. And it's they're on fire. Yes. Yes. And that's what I want. That's what I'm dying for. Because once we accomplish that, well, then forget it. Um, and, and so when people say, well, how do you start this? You, don't worry about it. Let them start it. I, I, I say, I've said this a thousand times, and it's our two most precious commodities we have at Noblesville High School is a whiteboard and a time to think and talk. Mm. We have these deep conversations. We dig deeper. We collect. We connect. We, we, we argue, 
we get into these deep philosophicals and that means everything because a kid walking is like, oh my gosh, I just made a connection. But all these things mean nothing unless you know how to think. Mm-hmm. And then you can learn how to think in a class like this. So all the, all the principles are the same regardless of what level you want to do this at, elementary, middle, or high school. And the earlier that we Absolutely. start, the, the better it's going to be because we'll be developing the mindsets in them while they're young. Actually, I think they have, they have the mindset when they are young. Right. We just they tend to do. smash mm-hmm. it out of them. But we need to keep that mindset at a young age and uh, imagine um, what the possibilities are for when they do get to the high school level. Right. And, one, and help one, them understand that the mindset that they have at home about learning is the mindset they can have in school about learning, too. Right. Seeing that we're throwing around that buzz term of mindset, which I like, um, <laughs> could you describe a worse scenario and a worse environment for mindset than a today's school? Mm. <laughs> It'd be a mindset challenge. Is, mindset is based on growth. Yep. There is no growth when students say, if I don't get an A on this, then it's, it's bad. You do nothing, anything great is never done right the first time. It can't be. We didn't learn how to walk on our first step. We didn't learn language development after our first breath. Everything that we do that's meaningful takes time. And there's that learning how to ride a bike, et cetera, et cetera. When we sit there and say, hey, if you take this test on the first time I introduce this concept to you, it's bad. Well, a, if it's that easy to get an A, is it, was it really that much of a challenge? And B, you're taking away the student's love of failure. And believe me, they love failure. If you don't believe me, watch a kid play video games. Yep. Uh-huh. They love mm-hmm. to fail. Good, good point. And they press point. reset again and again and again. <laughs> is it, you know, ask a kid if you sunk 60 bucks in buying a video game <laughs> and you plugged it in, you beat it on the first try, you didn't even get killed once. Kids want their money back. There was no challenge in that. So we intrinsically want a challenge. Mm-hmm. And yet we have a system where, here, I'll give you this thing that you have to respond to and you should probably get an A on your first chance. So thinking about when you went back and you started this, you implemented 20% time, what was the initial reaction either from your students or, or maybe from colleagues who didn't understand what you were doing? And how did you manage to overcome that reaction? <laughs> Bewilderment on both parts. Uh-huh. Um, uh, now that I've done it for a long enough time, I'm like, why wouldn't I? But when we first started, like, how is this addressing the standards? How can you, you afford to give up some time? How can you? And then on the student side, it sound, I say this is the difference between January 1st and January 2nd. It's fun to say on January 1st, I'm going to lose weight. January 2nd, you have to do it. <laughs> so our kids are like, yeah, finally a class, I get to do what I want, or at least a period in the week, I get to do what I want. I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What are you passionate about? Stuff. No, seriously, what do you really want to do? I want to get an A in this class. So what do you want to do? I want to know what you need for me to get an A. Um, it took me a time to realize this is, this is our fault. We reap what we sow. Mm-hmm. When we hold a kill of years, the only thing that matters is the grade. When all of a sudden I ask him his opinion, his, he, he or she tells me, my opinion doesn't count. Your opinion counts mm-hmm. because your opinion is going to be based on what you give me. So well, that's a sad, sad scenario. So it took me a couple of years. I mean, this class was not that successful in the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because <laughs> we, we learned, we adjusted. I, I reflect. 
matter of fact, that we, we throw this term out of lifelong learning all the time, right? Well, how many of us really mean it? Well, I mean it. I listen to podcasts all the time. I, I listen to audiobooks all the time. I read voraciously. I want to be the best human being I can be. So I ask for feedback. I have my students grade me twice a year. In their reflections, they're telling me what I'm doing wrong. I'm cool mm-hmm. with that. They're comfortable enough for me to, for them to say, hey, Wetrick, give me more time or stop doing this or quit, quit annoying me or whatever. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I adjust. And if that's going to serve their need, and they, they don't get mean about it. Well, that once they did, but they don't get mean about it. But um, I want to know how I can best serve them. I, I mean, ultimately, we lose sight of this. They're our customers. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, we're, and, and, and what they're paying in to be is to be great, productive human beings. If I'm training them just to sit down and shut up and wait instructions, what kind of future am I setting up for? A, a, a lifelong journey of servitude? Who wants that? I don't. So we critically think. We ask questions. We, we make each other mad every now and then because it's a wonderful process we get through. Well, you've certainly given us a lot to think about and a lot of ideas to take back to our teachers and um, not only about your process, but some of the challenges and ways you've navigated them and also some of your, for lack of a better word, mindset about moving forward with this and um, what you need to be able to do in your personal teaching and learning philosophy um, to to try this and be willing to fail. Um, So thank you for taking the time to, to talk with us tonight. That was my pleasure. I, I really admire your uh, passion, your energy, and your enthusiasm for, for yeah. this whole idea of innovation <laughs> and, and the ideas that you've shared about changing our system. Um, they're definitely uh, very similar to the, to the things that we've been talking about within our system. So it's been great getting to know a little bit about you, a little bit more about your work, and uh, getting to meet you and hear, hear exactly what you've been doing. So well, thank thanks you so again. much, guys. Yeah, yeah. If uh, anybody wants to get a hold of me, um, you can. I'm, I'm pretty darn active on Twitter mm-hmm. at Don Wetrick. Uh, if I don't follow you, and by the way, this is my last, my last rant. Um, we're at a tipping point with two buzzwords, and that is innovation and also connected <laughs> educator. Oh yeah, innovation. Um, <laughs> innovation is doing something differently, and uh, you're not going to do an innovative poster board the way you've always done it. Uh, innovation is trying new things. And lastly, there's connected educator. And this is one of a sore spot with me. Connected educator means that if, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I should want to follow you back because you probably have some great insights. I'm, I've had it with the Twitter all-star that has 150,000 followers and follows 12. That's arrogant and that's awful. Um, I want to follow people back because they're going to give, and by the way, everything I've done in this class has never been an original idea. <laughs> It's been little nuggets of wisdom here and there. So um, if, you, if, if you ever need to get a hold of me, I, you should probably be able to DM me because if you're a teacher, I follow you back. And by the way, the only time I don't follow back is when I don't know that you're a teacher because you're an egg with no description. So get on Twitter. <laughs> fill out a profile. I'll put well, up your and, and put in your description. I am a passionate educator or something like that. And then I'll follow you back. So thank you very much to Don for joining us. We'll continue to read more about his work at theinnovationteacher.com. Sounds like you can follow Don and he'll follow you back at Don Wetrick. Um, he certainly tweets his updates and his students' innovation work regularly. Make sure you update your egg or he won't follow you back. Also, you can learn more about Don and his work from a recent interview with Tom Bilyeu where he discussed the unlearning process and his, his pure genius and some of these other ideas that we've talked about um, on unlearning. We'll post the link to that video in the show notes so you can check it out. 
All right. Each episode, we leave you with a question or two to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This week's questions, what is your experience with Genius Hour or 20% Time? What innovations would you like to try in your classroom? And as a leader, how can you promote innovation and innovative thinking with your teachers and students? Visit our blog, tltalkradio.org, and leave a comment. You can also explore additional resources mentioned in the podcast uh, by Don, and you can explore those in the show notes to this particular episode. Please follow us on iTunes and consider leaving a, leaving a review. Uh, we'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Don. Take care. Have a good evening and take care, Lynn. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Thank you, Don. Thanks, guys. Sure.